I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2 this morning. I know it says Mark. We're going to be focusing mainly in Mark for the next several weeks, um, but we're going to be going through the gospel stories um, in various accounts. And I forgot, kids, you are dismissed to children's church. I know the bulletin said one thing, but you have been provided an out, and they go, yippee, and they are out. So, uh, 28 years ago, Kim were, and I were in our first ministerial position and had been there for about a year and a half. And we were trying to figure out this whole thing about being a couple, a family, while at the same time we were living across the country from our family. And we had a great church that we were a part of, and uh, it, it was a blessing. We didn't have the, the convenience of the internet and talking that way, so long distance phone calls and all that stuff were the, the go-to. But it, it, 28 years ago, at that same point, we were also filled with all this expectation and joy and hope because we knew we were expecting our first child, Ashley, who, was, who would be here uh, very soon. And so uh, there was so much going on. And, I, and I'll be say, you know, my daughter who had our first grandson um, within this last year, all this process, as I watched her, it, it, it reminded me a lot of different things because there, and I don't know if you really think back to it, but uh, there are a lot of aspects and rituals that go along with having a kid um, as a family. For example, as soon as uh, the woman knows that she's pregnant, she tells her husband, and they hold this secret for usually a little while. And they, 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 the joy, the expectations starting, and they're starting to do things in their head of all the what ifs. And then there's the ritual when you announce your pregnancy, which is a whole thing, uh, to the special people in your life, and you get to declare, we're having a baby. Then, and now we've added the new ritual of the uh, gender reveal party, you know, uh, with blowing up things, and it, it's, it's a fun video to watch, uh, and it's been taken to whole new levels. At, at some point, though, you also go through the, the ritual of trying to select a name, and the name is important because you can't just leave it at baby girl or baby boy because that will lead to fights in the playground at some point. Uh, so, so you go through books and websites and you're looking through names and for some you go through family names of parents and grandparents and special people in your life and you try to figure out the combination of, of what that's going to be. Then there's the ritual after the baby is born, the, the ritual of coming out of the hospital um, and getting into the car and the ritual of trying to figure out who the baby looks like. And you hold the child at, at this one angle and say, well, he or she looks like mom or dad or 
you know, the chin has dad's look, the, the, you know, this looks like grandma, and then you have the next ritual of the friends arrive, and they come in, and they hold that baby in their arms and, and joyfully exclaim, wow, this baby is so small. I've forgotten how small a baby can be. And then as believers, we have the ritual of dedication. When we bring the child to the sanctuary. And we have this special celebration and prayer over the life and training and coming alongside the church. These are all rituals that are a part of our culture. In one way or another, we've all experienced them, whether personally or on the outside in various ways. And in Luke chapter 2, we find Jesus is born. And we're going to start with verse 21 today. And Jesus went through the rituals of childhood. Uh, Just like we go through ours. At some point, you know, and at this point, starting with verse 21 through the end of the chapter, we encounter two of the first three rituals that Jesus' infancy would have had. We, we see it at day 8, there's another one at day 31 that we don't get to read about, and then there's one at, 40 to, at day 40. At, at day 8, which is verse 21, Jesus would have been circumcised. And the family would come together, not in the temple, not in the sanctuary, but at the house. It was a family event, and they would have all gathered there, But it was also not just the circumcision, it was the naming event. It was a huge day of celebration. And so during this service of circumcision, the rabbi would ask the question of the father. What shall this child be named? And Joseph would have declared to the rabbi, his name shall be Joshua. In, in, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua, which is Jesus saves. I mean, Joshua is, is the Hebrew. In Greek, it was Yeshua. And we get our English version from a Latin translation of the Greek where we get Jesus. And so Mary and Joseph provide this very common name with exponential meaning among their friends and family. And it's during this common and ordinary religious ritual that that recognizes the covenant between God and his people that as this boy and he's being circumcised, Jesus would have howled in pain. He wouldn't have, you know, just liked it. You know, uh, the family would have looked on and they would have rejoiced and clapped their hands and said, oh, listen to the lung power of that kid. How healthy he is. Then at 31 days, Joseph would have come to the temple in Jerusalem for a service of dedication. And he would have brought the firstborn uh, cattle and the firstborn of his sheep and he would have offered a sacrifice on behalf of of Jesus. 
and he would have dedicated him to the Lord on day 31. In, in Jewish patriarchal society that we are reading here, it, it's a special position to be the firstborn. Not only the firstborn, but more importantly, the firstborn male, because this child would eventually be the head of the household, the head of the family, and the primary heir to the family inheritance. And, and so, uh, the future number one authority in the family in all disputes. And so it was significant that he is being dedicated in this way. And then on day 40, the third ritual happens. And this really had more to do with Mary. It's this scene that we mostly read in this passage from verse 22 through 40. And it's centered around the rite of purification. This isn't the rite of purification for Jesus. It's the rite of purification for Mary. If she'd given, as she gives birth to a boy, she's to stay at home for 40 days, and then she comes for purification ritual. If she gave birth to a girl, she stays at home for 80 days, according to uh, the laws of the day. And this law told her to offer a sacrifice of a lamb, or if she couldn't afford that, then she was to bring uh, two doves or two pigeons. And it says that she brings these two birds because this, and this, and this really kind of shows their financial status as a family. They were not well-to-do. So we find Jesus in the midst of this these events of the 8th and the 40th day in this passage, that Jesus is going through the cultural traditions just as we do today in our ways. And the reason I'm spending so much kind of breaking this down is, and discussing this is to emphasize that Jesus was fully human. The, these rituals underscore Jesus' humanity. Galatians tells us that Jesus was born under the law and that he was to conform to the requirements of the law. Matthew 3 and Luke chapter 2 tells us that Jesus would fulfill the obligations of the law. And all of these biblical passages and the stories within the Gospels as we read them fully acknowledge that Jesus was real. He was alive. He was flesh and blood living in the midst of his community, just like we do in ours. And I recognize the humanity of Jesus, the, the very incarnation, God with us, God coming fully as a human being, at times has been a stumbling block for some people. The, the reason is because we don't want Jesus just to be a baby. We want him to be a super baby that never whines, never complains, never cries, never throws up, never messes his diaper, um, never disappoints, you know, any, any of that stuff. And then when they get out of that phase, we want them to be a super child. We want Jesus to be that super child. No tantrums. He, he never refused to eat his broccoli. You know, and then as he grew up, we don't want him just to grow up to be a man. We want him to be a superman. And then we want him to be a super god. 
that carries around some kind of magic wand instead of being the holy God that we find throughout Scripture. And if we do that, if that's our temptation is to kind of take away the humanity of Jesus, the, the, the reality is that we lose out on so much. Because Jesus was fully man and fully God. He had all the temptations. He was flesh and blood, a person with a mind and emotions just like us. And yet he showed us the way because it says, and he shows throughout the scriptures that he did not sin. He showed us that it was possible to follow God in all ways and at all times. Now, if you're wondering why it's so important to underscore the humanity of Jesus, it's because the humanity of Jesus emphasizes the incarnation for us. That God encounters us in the midst of the ordinary. Through, through the waters of baptism, through the words of the Bible, through, through the bread and juice of communion, and throughout the coming and going of life, God does not leave us. God is with us. And in this passage, we find that God can speak through ordinary people. God uses plain and ordinary people like you and me to get his message out. A message of hope, but also a message that there's going to be trouble because Jesus will cause division. That, that's part of the message that Luke is sharing, that God comes through the plain and the ordinary, the, the fully human person of Jesus who was born in a messy stable, in a manger full of hay, with the smell of real live animals in the barn. And Jesus walked, and he talked, and he laughed, and he cried. God chose the common and the natural the humble and the ordinary, to express the extraordinary love for us and to us. And I recognize that the problem isn't that we don't want God to come through the ordinary, but we want him to come more importantly through the extraordinary. You know, the ordinary isn't enough. We, we want the supernatural. We, we want the miracles that, that mesmerize and, and fully grab everybody's attention. And you read this throughout the Gospel accounts. Well, show us a sign. Show us a miracle. We don't want natural messengers called friends. We want supernatural messengers called angels. We don't want God to work through the ordinary. We want him to work through the extraordinary. And the problem, though, is that if we can't see the face of God in the flesh and blood of the people of the world that we are surrounded by, then literally we are going to have, very, have a hard time seeing it all. Part of the message that we need to embrace is that God does and continues to encounter us today, even in the ordinary you see, the humanity of Jesus is a clue to the character and makeup of God. This message reveals something about us. I recognize there's a lot of parents that want that super baby. They want that super child. And they want that, that child to be the super adult. And, and then they want the super spouse. 
And then we move beyond the humanity of our lives because I want a super God that, that's going to just touch my life and all my problems are magically going to disappear. This is the kind of God often that we think we really want. And yet I want us to remember that the God we serve is indeed super. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, infinitely creative, infinitely powerful. But this story is a reminder that we can and do encounter God in the midst of our ordinary lives and days. You know, that's what I like about this story, that while we find the confirmation of Jesus, in, in, of who he is because of the pronouncements of Simeon and Anna, it's, it's in the midst of the ordinary. Every, there's people coming and going into the temple at this point because that's what they did. We, we need to remember that it's in the midst of this ordinary day in the life of the temple. A day that started out like many others for Simeon and Anna. Now, they were prompted in some ways, and we, and we read that Simeon knew that before he would pass that he would see. That God had told him, the Holy Spirit had said, you're going to see the Messiah come. And the prophetess Anna, she, she was in a different kind of connection because of her fasting and, and all that's going on. They came into the temple courts that day as two common, ordinary parents, proud of the child that they brought, following the traditions and the, the conditions of the law. There were no miracles that day, no signs, no wonders performed, fireworks didn't go off, but... Simeon and Anna knew what Joseph and Mary knew. They knew and they believed that God was doing something special in the midst of that day. Now, I admit that it would be wonderful if we woke up every morning and we just automatically could see the Holy Spirit and hear God speak to us in a clear, audible voice. And we all know what that voice would sound like. Morgan Freeman or, uh, you know, this deep, just trembly voice. It'd be awesome if we didn't have to work and pay attention to God in our lives. That it just happened naturally. It just happened on the regular. It sure would be making... a being a Christian a lot easier. Because when life really got tough or really got boring or we were facing tough decisions or we're going through a crisis in our home life, it'd all be so much easier with a real constant tangible sense of God's presence in every moment wherever we looked. But I admit that life isn't usually like that. But the reality, the reality of it all, and, and I... I admit this week has been one of those weeks. It's been a week of, of humanity. But it's been also a week of grace for Kim and I. As we've experienced this truth that the reality is that we walk by faith and not by sight. That Jesus communicates that over and over 
in his teachings. Where while most of the time we may not have this profound awareness of what God is doing in our life, it's not because God isn't there, but often because we haven't done the work to center our lives on the focus of what God is doing. That, that in the midst of the ordinary, we get caught up in the stuff. And yet, what I see is Simeon and Anna in the midst of the ordinary. They were different, not because they were any different than the people around them, but because it says that they had devoted themselves to the preparation and work of true worship, not just on that day, but they did it every day. That they worshiped and they prepared their hearts and their minds and their souls with expectation of what God was doing, that they had centered themselves in, in God's word, that they, they, they participated in worship and fasting on a regular basis, not just on special holidays. Because sometimes what is required is that, that we rely on what we know to be true in our head and our heart, and perhaps even cling to it by our fingernails at times against all the odds and what some would say in the world. And I would assume that most of us have had moments where we just have super clarity of God, of what's going on or something, a message, moments when we have this profound experience of his presence. Sometimes it's even here at church. We're in the church sanctuary. But one of the best things in the miracles of the gospel is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God came into the everyday. God came into the ordinary. God came into the, the good days and he came into the bad days and he came just to the ordinary everything mixed in days. And he came in and he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Not the ideal situation. Some say, you know, that that was the first silent night. Not because of all the extraordinary, but because Joseph forgot to make reservations for the hotel. But the thing is, he redeemed the ordinary through a cross just outside Jerusalem. And he filled our everydayness, the ordinary days, even when we're not feeling it, with the very glory of heaven as he ascended. And then he sent to us the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we can encounter him throughout all the stages of life, even in the ordinary, and especially in the ordinary, if we pay attention. That's part of the miracle of the Christian faith. That, that when our lives seem mundane, when our lives seem far from transcendent, that that we can hold on to the miracle faith and seek God in the everydayness of life because the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Not because he paid it, didn't pay attention, but he came into us. That the extraordinary meets the ordinary, and the Christian experience is simply this. Our everyday lives, with all their joys and celebrations, with their pains and their tears, can become transformed by the very presence of God to and in us. That it's always offered. He doesn't withhold himself from us until we get it just right. But that he brings himself to us each and every day. The challenge, though, before us is, that, is to look at our lives and see his presence. That we can endure all things. That we can love all things. And we can see the very pattern of the footprints of God leading into a deeper experience of his grace. As we pay attention, as we prepare daily. Because God takes the ordinary and the everyday things and he transforms them by his very presence because he came into the world to save it. Because he loved us, that he loved you. There's so much more than just the ordinary because God changes it. God takes the ordinary and makes it something when we participate with him.